Red and Roses, the podcast by and for Labour women. My name's Charlotte and I'm a member at Salford Ethel's CLP. Thanks for joining us. Today I'm speaking to Caroline, who is a member in Tottenham CLP and a teacher in Islington in London. She's also the chair of Young Labour. So Caroline, over to you. What's it like being a teacher at the moment? Um, well, wasn't supposed to make this joke, but it's great because it's summer holidays. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, if you've been paying any attention, it's obvious that actually being a teacher at the moment is incredibly challenging. And I know plenty of colleagues, people I've trained with who have now decided to leave the profession. And if you look at a lot of the news, you're seeing that teachers are overworked, they're feeling undervalued. And our schools at the moment are being pushed so hard by a new government yeah. regime, but they're not getting the funding to help achieve these goals. So it's really, really challenging being a teacher at the moment. I saw some um, really grim stats this week about holiday hunger and kids like going hungry in the school holidays, food back use jumping right up. Is this something you've seen in your experience? Yeah. So I work in a school that's got high levels of pupil premium. So that means that children who come from a lower socioeconomic background will get an extra amount of funding. Now that's really good for us because it means that we can provide a lot of extra things that some other schools are not able to do. And we're also supported by other organisations such as a charity called Magic Breakfast um, that helps us to give a good breakfast to these children. And that's every single child. Um, and make sure that we're providing them with the kind of pastoral care that they need. Now, what's funny, actually, is as you kind of lead up into the summer holidays, a lot, you'll find there is a lot of our children start to get quite um, nervous. They start Mm. to get quite worried about the summer holidays. And it can be for a, a huge range of factors. I mean, having the stability of school and the routine of coming in every day and having an adult that will look after them and having, you know, two square meals um, is very important, especially when you're really young. Routine keeps children feeling really secure. But in the last few weeks leading up to the holidays, we've had a lot of children come to us with concerns and worries. And this is partly due to the fact that the holidays are a really, really hard time for children and their families I mean I'm not putting this on their parents at all Mm. Um, parents who rely on school as a kind of community support system are not able to do that for six weeks and yeah there is instances of children that I work with just not getting the food or the stability or the care that they need in these six weeks that they're away from us and they return in September um, a lot less easy to teach Mm. (laughs) because they've had such a difficult summer. Yeah, I mean, you you do have to wonder, like, people whose parents aren't able to take off sort of six weeks over the summer. Mm. I mean, I was lucky growing up because despite the fact that my mum was a sort of single-parent household, she worked in a school... So obviously got that time off. But mm. I always wondered how, you know, people who maybe don't have a sort of large family network around them manage really with childcare over summer. It's really hard. I mean, there are, I know that our borough has quite a lot of different schemes to help children 
and make the most out of summer holidays. For example, Islington does like free week-long swimming lessons so that you can put your child in swimming lessons in the morning or whatever for a whole week and it's free. Yeah. Which means a lot to a lot of parents. But to be honest, a lot of people don't take up those schemes and a lot of children are left with family members or... Um, um, you know what I don't even know what a lot of them do over the summer holidays because it is really hard yeah um so yeah it's 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 really hard for parents and it is a long slog six weeks is a long time yeah definitely um so in Labour's manifesto this year I like kissed my fingers like a chef uh like <laughs> a lot of points it? so it's just like oh this is magnificent oh. <laughs> Um, but like one of the sort of boldest and most exciting bits for me, pledges wise, was the sort of establishment of the National Education Service. Mm. What sort of a difference do you think the proposals within that would have made in a school like yours? So I think it it, it contributes a lot more to the conversation about education because what governments tend to do when they look at education policy and the way that we run our system is they tend to go for a kind of patchy approach whereas the national education service idea has this whole holistic vision of what Mm. education in this country could look like starting from the very beginning right towards the very end and that is such a breath of fresh air because we've been running certainly our primary and secondary system in the same way since basically the 60s and we've not reviewed it and we haven't really changed anything hugely I mean you can talk about teeny tiny little changes and the way that we've kind of moved towards an exam based system etc etc but when you look at the way that is run the way that is structured we've had the same thing for a very very long time so when Labour start talking about a more um, whole scale vision of what education can be that's really it's really refreshing because a lot of people decide oh here's a priority area for education and a lot of people will talk about early years for example yeah. because it is really really important early years education is essential especially for children who come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds because that's when they're able to kind of make a bit of catch up yeah. on children who've been brought up in these lovely middle class households But you can't look at one area of education and completely ignore the rest because you can't say it's more important for children to have that amazing EYFS experience and then neglect the fact that when they get to 16, they need to be able to make choices about where their career will go and whether they want to go into um, a technical-based education or if they want to go into university. You have to look at the whole system. And that's what's really good about this. Um, I mean, the one thing that really came across, and a lot of the teaching unions did a lot of um, lobbying on this. Obviously, they weren't lobbying on behalf of the Labour Party, but it did come out really positively for us because mm. they talked about the funding that parties were prepared to give schools. Yeah. Because it's clearer than ever that schools are just dying for funding. Like, there are areas especially outside of London, you're talking about rural areas and stuff like that that have quite small schools, their funding is so tight that they can't even afford to buy glue sticks and teachers will spend their time. Yeah, like fundraising things in schools for buying like really basic stuff like pens. Yeah, Yeah. it's insane. Yeah. Because you can't... 
do we, are we giving schools not enough money to buy fundamental things like this pens? is this has been the case for several years like when i was training three years ago we would have to buy our own like prick sticks or whatever and bring them into school so that we could get some activity done like we're not given these basic things to help us to teach let alone things that actually make a difference like additional staff and additional therapy and uh equipment etc so yeah i think the what the teaching unions really did was they they really highlighted where the manifestos were prepared to properly invest in schooling and it really looked good for Labour because Labour were the only party who said you know what you have to increase investment in schools if you want to have better outcomes and that was part of this whole national education service and properly investing in education and having a larger vision for it so yeah that was really positive it must have been super annoying as well as a new teacher who's obviously you know bottom end of the pay scale being asked Mm -hmm. to provide these sorts of things too (laughs) <laughs> so like as, yes. as a new teacher um who's obviously you know recently been through all the training mm. what do you think about reports that there's about six hundred thousand children being taught by people who aren't qualified teachers like knowing what you know about the training is it is it even possible to teach effectively without it um it's possible to teach without being trained as a teacher it's very difficult to teach effectively and teach in the knowledge of what good teaching is. Mm. I mean, PGCs and training programs give you really good knowledge of um, what strategies and what ideas you can use to teach children. They give you a good grounding of subject knowledge. Mm. I think there's a lot of people these days, and I see this a lot in supplies that come into our school, a lot of people think, yeah, I can teach secondary music, so I'll just pop down into primary school because it's a lot easier to do supply in primary because the kids are a lot less challenging, yeah. um, especially in London. <laughs> um, they will pop down and be like, mm, yeah, fine. But actually, I I teach seven-year-olds and I teach seven-year-olds maths um, and English and everything else. And I get a lot of secondary colleagues who come down to teach and cover me for the day and they don't have that knowledge of strategies. I mean, there is not, it's not as simple to teach a seven-year-old how to, I don't know, add numbers under 100 by just saying, this is just how it works. That's yeah. not teaching. And there's always going to be children who find things really difficult and you need to know different ways and different ideas and different uh, approaches to help them to do that. And even though even my colleagues who are trained in secondary find that really challenging. So the idea that someone who is unqualified can come in and just have a stab at it, it's really hard because I do know some people who are unqualified and they teach and they do it very well because they have an area of expertise, for example, or they've been Mm. doing it for a very long time. But actually, I think lots of schools are doing a disservice to children because all the research points towards saying that actually the biggest thing that can make an influence on a child's education is having a really good well-trained teacher yeah so if you want to take education seriously you have to take the adults you put into schools seriously and you have to take teacher training seriously and the fact that that the government has been defunding teacher training programs it 
it doesn't make a word of sense because they have a huge training deficit at the moment they're not get training enough teachers to get into our schools and yet they are taking away funding from higher education courses they're putting it into a lot of programs like teach first who don't have great retention rates and i'm there are quite a few theories as to why that might be but like it doesn't matter at the end of the day you need to be putting your funding into teacher training programs that have higher retention rates like good quality pgcs yeah like something that's sustainable absolutely um and they're not looking at that i mean it's the the lack of like holistic vision on education is so clear from this government like you don't know what they're doing and they don't know what they're doing sorry but yeah it's a lot of these false economy things like a bit of penny pinching over here but that costs you know much more in the long run yeah, they are spending, um, there's plenty of news stories that show that they are spending a huge amount of money now trying to recruit from abroad, ironically. Um, and actually, they what they need to be doing is investing in teaching um, programs here. In fact, unlike every program that I use, you know, on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter and stuff, I'm getting all of these teaching adverts and the adverts that the government have made for like getting people to go into teaching at the moment, they are like, they're, they're almost funny. Like you yeah. watch them and it's just this kind of young person saying, oh, the pay's okay. No, 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 but the pay is okay. And I'm paid quite well and the pay's okay. <laughs> and if you watch that, it's literally just that on repeat. Yeah, Why like, would that make you want to go into teaching? Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, not that I'm getting some great level of job satisfaction or not Oops. that I'm going and doing these things. Just, you know, the, the, the pay is adequate. Pay is adequate. Please, please teach because <laughs> they'll pay you for it. Like, Adequately. Uh, oh, it just, it drives me mad because, yeah, you've got children being taught by people who don't know how to teach or haven't been trained to teach. And all the government can say is, but it pays. Please come and train. It pays. <laughs> Oh, so like on the subject of sort of training, because it ties in with that a little bit, um, mm. I couldn't resist chatting to you a little bit about free education. Mm-hmm. So Young Labour passed the policy in Scarborough um, mm-hmm. last February, was it? Yeah. Um, so it was really exciting for me to see it in the Labour Manifesto. Mm. It's got to be a massive burden in industries like teaching, where obviously you need a postgraduate qualification on top of your undergrad. Yeah. To be paying huge fees, like surely it's not a surprise to anyone to see this sort of seven percent decrease in teacher training yeah. applications according to UCAS. I think it's things like this that show why free education is so important. There's this sort of pervasive thing that you often hear bandied around by, you know, people in the Labour Party as well as outside it that you know, why should someone who is a bin man pay for someone else to go to uni when they didn't get the chance to? Like, you know, does the bin man want his kids to be taught by teachers? It's, you know, I assume so. What's Mm. your take on the whole debate? I think we've completely lost sight of the fact that we educate our society so that we can all benefit from it. Um, yeah. So, like, I don't know when we stop thinking about this. The reason we have a decent education system is that anybody could feasibly learn and do what they wanted to do. Mm. And we have moved away from that. I mean, there are plenty of children who are put off straight away by the idea that they would have to pay for a university education. So they give up before they even get there. Yeah. And they say, well, that's not for me. 
And that's not the kind of country we should be living in. We should be making sure that anyone who goes into our education system and goes through it is able to get exactly what they want out of that, whether it be a degree, whether it be a technical qualification, whether it just be to get them to the end of secondary school. Like, that's what we should be looking to achieve from this. And unfortunately, you're right, like, it's becoming even harder for people to go through university to get the qualifications that they need and are expected of them to go into public service and that's a huge problem i mean if you look at the again the problems that the government are now having for recruiting doctors and nurses yeah it it doesn't make any sense at all because this is another area where they have defunded courses and grants they're no longer putting money into nursing grants and they've all of a sudden had a massive drop in nursing applications when we didn't even have a well um, staffed nursing provision in this country anyway. Yeah, because I, mean, I can't understand this idea that you would want your nurse to be also working somewhere else for half of the week as well, because obviously mm. they're, you know, they're still in hospitals when they're doing their training you know do you want them to be super tired and making mistakes (laughs) well the nhs again it's another area that's under so much pressure and scrutiny at the moment and actually what it needs is it needs enthusiastic young graduates to go into these professions and feel like they want to stick at it yeah there are so many people that i know that trained as doctors and they went through five years of university paying a lot of money to do so and unfortunately a lot of them like they've they've got through it and they found a job where they are worked all hours and a lot of them would take extra shifts for extra cash Mm. and be working overtired and then they'd be working in hospitals that are under equipped that are unable to provide them or their patients with what they need yeah and they're just leaving and to just go into like another scientific based career because why would you stick in the NHS when it's in that state? It's too hard to work in. Well, it's the same with the PGCE system as well. I mean, mm. I can't see how you could get a job around doing mm. that with the sort of workloads that I've seen from friends that have gone through the process. You can't. Like, I worked all the way through my first degree, which was in languages, mm. and I always, always had a job, and I thought, Ah, PGC, that'll be fine, or I'll have another thing on the side. And it's just impossible, because essentially, for more than 50% of it, you are teaching full-time anyway. So you're in schools and you're working until six or whatever. Um, And then even on your weekends, you've got a significant amount of work to do, including coursework, etc., etc. So yeah, PGCs do not give you time to have extra jobs on the side. No. I mean, potentially in the summer, but... I mean, you're stretching, you're stretching it anyways. But then I um, suppose you kind of get to the point where, you know, similarly with nursing, that, you know, going into teaching is not something that, despite those adverts that people do for the money, it's mm-hmm. not, mm-hmm. you know, for the for the level of qualifications you're expected to have, you know, the pay isn't, you know, fantastic. The amount of time that it's going to take teachers to pay off these sort of eye-watering amounts of debt <laughs> Yeah. You can see why people would be like, do you know what? Like, I'm going to get my master's. I'm going to go and do something else. And, you know, hopefully 
not have this sort of debt burden hanging over me for yeah. the rest of my entire life. Well, to be perfectly honest with you, I've got, I think, 45 grand worth of debt. And I know. Um, <laughs> and I, I the way. Like quite good now to only have 27 grand. Well, there you worth. go. Now I've got a sweet 45 there. Um, and I, I just don't see it ever being paid off, which. No. It's fine. It just means that it's just going to be taken away from my wages for as long as I shall live. Um, like a very, very sad marriage. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's the thing that graduates these days have to say. They have to say, look, I'm either I'm happy with shouldering a lifetime's worth of debt for what I want to do um, or I'm not. Yeah. And I decided to do that. But you know, you can absolutely see why people choose not to make that decision. And also, people just aren't don't want to go into teaching anymore. Like, uh, there's that choice. They're saying, oh, I've got to pay £9,000 for PGC. I've also got to have the maintenance cost. And then I have to go into a job mm. where so many colleagues are leaving anyway because you work from 50 to 60 hours a week and get paid for 36.5 hours a week. That's what we get paid for. Um, and no one ever works that no. like fair play to the teacher who manages to leave when the kids do <laughs> um, but I'd be yeah. interested to meet them mm, quite so in fact some of the parents that come in after school are like oh you're still here yes <laughs> we'll be for the next two hours um, but yeah it's just it's really really hard at the moment and I can see why people choose not to go into these training courses especially when they cost so much and actually one of the other things that the government has done is they've um, there used to be lots and lots of grants and scholarships for people to go into teaching so if you had a 2-1 for example um, the government would pay you uh, like a grant of £4,000 to yeah. do a primary PGC um, and if you have it a first I think they'd cover the whole thing and, and give you £9,000 um, but they've cut that <laughs> they've literally got rid of that now in the last two years so I was lucky enough to get a small grant um, which to be fair only basically covered maintenance anyways yeah. um, but they don't do that anymore they do still do it for maths and physics teachers and if you had like a good degree in maths and physics they'll give you something like £25,000 but that just shows how few they've got they've they've been they're yeah. offering £25,000 to these graduates to go into teaching maths or physics and they are still not meeting their quotas well, it just shows you just how shocking the shortage must be, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, people aren't interested in going into it. Um, but yes, that is, that is teaching in a nutshell. People are not seeing it worth the, worth the risk. No. I mean, I did see um, sort of all this stuff this week where um, the Tories are trying to bash Corbyn by saying that he said he was going to write off everyone's debt. Like, I read the manifesto <laughs> again today and he, he did not say it in there. No. Um, I mean, obviously, like, you know, we've both got loads of debt, so it would be super cool if he decided that he did. Definitely would be. But, yeah, it's kind of enough for me that he was going to sort of write this historic wrong, essentially. Yeah. I mean, I think tuition fees and top-up fees are one of the things that, you know, the last Labour government got badly wrong. Mm. Yeah. Um, it has been funny how they've kind of gone in on that recently um, because it was like absolutely obvious that 
he didn't say he was going to write it off. And it's um, not like they were offering it either. I know. <laughs> no one is offering this. It's like, you um, put them up to nine grand. I know. But, like, it was clear over the campaign that one of the things that we wanted to do was abolish tuition fees. And, yeah. like, Corbyn has always, always said that. Like, from the day one of his first leadership campaign, he said that free education is the thing, uh, which it is. Um, Agreed. <laughs> but... The fact that the Tories are kind of hamming in on this is because they're they're so terrified of the kind of huge amounts of support that have been drummed up by this. And the thing is, it doesn't just drum up support from students. Like, the fact that people think, ah, this is how we get all of our over-18s to vote for us. No. There are plenty of parents who see this as a way of supporting their children that there are plenty of people who genuinely believe it yeah. and you know, there are like parents who are hoping for a future for their grandkids as well. <laughs> exactly I mean, the idea that it's just young people who think it's something that's important yeah it's a complete fallacy and you know what there's a huge generation of people my parents well my dad included mm. who benefited from this system and i think there is plenty of people who do not understand why it's been taken away. No. But there you go. Um, <laughs> good luck to the Tories trying to edge in on this one, elbowing well, yeah. in. Stop, Mr. Corbyn, you're saying good things. Let's see if we can put a spanner in the work. <laughs> okay. And it's literally, it's ridiculous that they're following up some comment from like Enemy magazine. And think, I still don't think that's funny. The fact that, you know, leader of the Labour Party just said something to Enemy magazine and the Tories are... Having a dig at it. But that's good luck getting bit, Theresa May in enemy, mate. <laughs> but like, it was the great bit where they did, you know, the sort of square brackets with the sort of, you know, ellipses in, and it's, and you think, oh, you know, what word or two have they <gasps> taken out of this? And it was like a whole section of what he said where he was like, well, you know, it's, it's not a firm commitment, but it's something that we would look to do in the future. Oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a manifesto commitment to me. <laughs> <laughs> he's been re- he's been literally waving that book around at anyone who will listen for the last yeah. two months. Every speaking event he's done, he's got that book in his hand and waved it at them. At I least the Tories could do is sit it. down and read it. You know, <laughs> well, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, I think that's all we've got time for today. Okay. But thank you ever so much for speaking to me today, Caroline. Thank you. And if people want to get more involved in Young Labour. Mm-hmm. How can they find out about what Young Labour's getting up to? The best thing to do, actually, and our most active way of um, communicating with people is our Twitter. Um, there are loads and loads of um, local Young Labour groups that run really good social media media profiles by which and through which you can contact them. So what I would do, no matter where you're from in the country, if you kind of Google... For example, Dorset Young Labour, um, hopefully a group will come up on their Facebook or Twitter. What we're trying to do is we're going to try and map this out. And we've been trying to do it for a very, very long time and it's still a project. Um, but hopefully soon we'll have a good concept of where all of our groups are. And there should be a local group near you. And if you don't know how to get in touch with these people, go through your local CLP. See if your CLP secretary can help you out with that. Oh, great. Well, thanks ever so much for speaking to me today, Caroline. And speak to you soon. Speak soon. Bye.
Your host for today was Charlotte Nichols, music by Ashling Musson and special guest Caroline Hill. You can find us on Twitter at breadrosespod or email breadandrosespodcast at gmail.com if you want to say hello, get involved or even be a guest in a future episode. Please remember to rate, review and subscribe on your podcast app of choice as it helps other listeners find us. Speak to you soon!